I've just put some bread in the oven, four beautiful, fragrant loaves. Their scent is beginning to permeate the house. That smell where there's nothing like it is there. It's the smell of nourishment, of care. It's the smell of life. I've always loved baking the bread and bringing it to the table. But today, it makes my heart burn with joy as I remember last Sunday evening, the day we were on the road with Jesus. It began as a day of confusion. Well, three days, really. My husband, Cleopas, and I were staying in Jerusalem for the Passover, and of course the news, the terrible news, spread like a raging fire over parched earth. We had learned within hours of the terrible event of what had happened to Jesus, the one we had believed to be a prophet, who we had believed to be the Messiah. We'd heard how our leaders had handed him over to be condemned to be de- to death and how the Romans had crucified him. And we had hoped. How can I even convey to you what we had hoped? We'd hoped that he who wandered Galilee free as a bird on the wing would lead our people to a life of freedom. We had hoped that he who spoke of putting away the sword would lead our people to a life of peace. We had hoped that he who had healed every kind of disease would lead our people to a life of wholeness. And how our hopes were no more. They were nothing but foolish wishes. Those in power had shown us what happens to those with, freedoms of, uh, with dreams of freedom and peace and wholeness. And so we'd planned on the first day of the week to leave Jerusalem, to return to our village, Emmaus. We just couldn't bear to stay in that place where our hopes and dreams had been killed We needed to return to family and familiarity. We needed to go home. But then another story started to spread. And this one wasn't fire, it was wind. It blew into the place we were staying early that morning. Some of women of our group had astounded us. They'd gone to the tomb early that morning and they did not find his body there. They came back and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of us, of those that were there, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. Cleopas and I whispered in the corner, What shall we do? I asked. What can we do? He replied. There's nothing for us here. There's nothing but cruel taunts, inviting us to hope again and be crushed again. There's nothing to do except go home. And so that's what we did. On that day of confusion, we set out for our home village. You know, I love to walk with my husband. He's unusual, I think, in that he likes to talk. And that is what we do. We take a journey of several hours or more. We talk about all the things we don't have time to talk about in the day-to-day busyness of our lives. 
We talk about what matters to us. And that day, we talked about Jesus. We talked of the day Cleopas first saw him. He'd been working with his brother, hauling rocks from a quarry to build a pavilion for a wealthy man in our town. Emmaus is known for its hot springs, which means those with money travel here for their health. Cleopas and Marcus paused in their work in the heat of the day and saw a man sitting by a well, surrounded by people jostling one another to get closer to him. Then they too moved closer. They heard him tell the most remarkable tale. A tale about a Samaritan and some Jews and a man who had been beaten by robbers and left for dead and how the Samaritan had saved him while the Jews did nothing. Marcus scoffed and turned back to his work. But there was something in his words that captured my husband's attention. Is it possible? He asked me that night as we leaned together over our supper. Is it possible that not all Samaritans are evil and godless? I've never thought about it before. The next day, Cleopas took me to see him. I was sceptical, but Cleopas was insistent. He had learned his name, Jesus of Nazareth, and he had heard that not only was he a teacher, but he also was a healer. As Cleopas pushed me through the village, I felt my face burning with shame. I knew why he was taking me to see this healer. We'd been married for more than three years and I had yet to bring forth a child. The other women were starting to look at me with that terrible pity they get when they decide one of us is sterile. A woman, a woman who is not a mother in my village, well, she may as well be dead. She has no value. Not to my clear past, though. I knew my husband treasured me, and I knew I had value in him. But it still pained me that he thought I needed to be healed. When we arrived, there was a great commotion. The, the crowd gathered around Jesus. They were full of men shouting and arguing. And in the centre of it all, a man sat on the ground at Jesus' feet, talking quietly with him. When we drew near to see who that man was, Cleopas and I clutched one another in shock. It was Jacob the beggar. Jacob, cousin to my cousin. Jacob, who had never been able to utter a word. Jacob, who now was sitting there chatting with Jesus as if it was the most wonderful thing in the world. Jacob, who had been silent, and Jesus had now opened his mouth. Cleopas turned to me and said, Mariam, what more evidence do we need? This man, he is the Messiah. He is the one who will save our people. I don't understand everything that he says, but the power of God is in him. And that day we became his followers. We didn't leave our home, we couldn't, but we followed him from afar. We met others who believed he was the Messiah too. We heard by word of mouth where he would be any, anywhere near and we went to see him as far as a two-day walk just to be near this Jesus. But it was not only his miracles, it was his teaching. He was a great storyteller. 
Now, I've tried to improve my storytelling skills over the years, but he was a master storyteller, let me tell you. Every story made me think. Every story challenged my established thoughts. Every story gave me new insight into the scriptures, into God's involvement with humankind and into my life. Every story left me wanting to hear more. This Jesus, it was impossible to be neutral. People were either for him, believing him to be the great prophet or even the Messiah, or people were against him, believing he was an imposter and for some, a dangerous person. I wish you could have seen the crowds that gathered around the gate in Jerusalem to hail Jesus as king when he arrived for the Passover. People of all ages were shouting out joy and laying palm branches along the path he travelled. Those were the folks that were for him. But they were not the only ones who had strong opinions about him. The hatreds in their hearts of our religious authorities was much deeper than I could ever have imagined. It had reached boiling point. But more of that in a moment. My husband and I were disciples of this Jesus. We weren't chosen to be part of the 12 who travelled with him constantly, but we did follow him as much as we could. We listened, we believed, we submitted, and we expected him to establish God's kingdom on earth. Yet this Passover was to take unexpected turns that we could never have imagined. Instead of being a Passover feast for us, it turned out to be a Passover death for us. Instead of Jesus being lifted up as a king as we had anticipated on his arrival in Jerusalem, he was lifted up on a Roman cross where he was murdered. Cleopas and I awoke the next morning in the inn, hearing loud talking outside. The city was astir with the fact that Jesus was being taken to Golgotha, a high hill outside the walls of the city, to be killed. We dressed quickly and upon arrival we saw Jesus already hanging between earth and heaven. I asked Cleopas if it was really him. He'd been beaten so badly that his face was marred, swollen and full of blood. And yet it was undeniable the one we'd put all our hopes in, the one to whom we had given much of the last three years to, was now closing into death. Everything we believed was being made into a lie. Everything we sacrifice now now was to be a lost cause. All our hopes and assurances for eternity we had pinned to him and how he was being pinned to a cross. If God, after all that Jesus had done, would abandon him, then it became clear that all of our hopes had been misplaced. We stayed until the bitter end. I can still hear his final weak cries from that cross. It is finished, he said. I remember thinking, did I hear him wrong? It is finished? 
Sure, he meant, I am finished. Because that would make more sense. For certain, all our assurances in him are finished. While I was lost in my moment of grief, Jesus spoke one last time. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then his head fell and his struggling body lifeless. Then from deep within my soul came the cry, No, no, we don't want you to go to the Father. We want you here. I need you here with me. I couldn't take it any longer. Tears streaming down my face. My husband trying to be as quiet as possible in his grief. We somberly walked back into the city. Have you ever known emptiness? Well, it filled my soul to overflowing that day. Anger towards those responsible for his death filled my heart. I was in complete ruin. The crucifixion was Friday. We stayed in the city through the Sabbath. We couldn't even force ourselves to eat. We were in shock and in despair. The weight of his death grew on us every hour until we seemed we would be completely crushed. And so we prepared to return to Emmaus. There was nothing more to do in Jerusalem. There was some chance the authorities would arrest any followers of Jesus they could find. Those who stayed in the city stayed out of sight. But as we prepared to leave, we heard rumour that his grave was empty. Somebody heard it whispered that some of the women had visited the tomb that morning only to find the stone rolled back, the tomb empty, and something about angels saying Jesus had risen. Another snatch of news had it that a couple of the twelve had been to the tomb and also found it empty. But this kind of thing was simply impossible, and we didn't believe them. As much as I would have loved to have believed that Jesus was alive, I just couldn't. Why? Because I saw him die. So two of us, even more uh, perplexed about Jesus' death than we had been, set off home. And as we walked and talked, we became aware of footsteps approaching from behind as a man walked by himself. So we invited him to join us. A stranger joining us on a journey was not such an unusual thing. Pilgrims were leaving Jerusalem now that the great Sabbath of Passover was over. And it's always safer to travel with company than go alone on unknown paths. As Cleopas and I paused in our conversation, the stranger asked what we were talking about. Why do you look so glum, he asked. At first, neither of us responded. Was this fellow, fellow traveller in sympathy Or would he betray us? Yet when I heard his voice, it struck me. There was something familiar about it, but I didn't give it much more thought. In our village, everybody is somebody's relative. Cleopas asked him, incredulous, how it was he knew nothing about Jesus. Where have you been these last few days? Haven't you heard what's happened in Jerusalem? Are you a stranger to this area? How could anybody within miles of the city or even days' journey not know what had happened? 
This had been no common execution. Three hours of darkness had covered the land. Never had earthquakes accompanied a crucifixion before. How could this stranger be so ignorant of it all? And yet he seemed sincere. We told him that the one we had expected to redeem Israel had been crucified and placed in a grave. His death was the end of our hopes and our dreams. There could be no deliverance now. We'd even told him of the rumours we'd heard just a few hours earlier. And we admitted the stories were hard to believe. The stranger shook his head at our confusion. He scolded us for not believing the promises of our own scriptures regarding the Messiah. And then the stranger began to talk and it was clear. He knew everything. He quoted passage after passage from Moses and the prophets, from the Psalms showing us how the promises in our scriptures had been fulfilled. The stranger began by sharing how in the Garden of Eden God had promised deliverance through the bruising of the deliverer. He reminded us of the Passover where God delivered our ancestors from the angel of death in um, in Egypt. He reminded us of the whole sacrificial system that had to be repeated constantly, that he actually pointed forward to a greater sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. He told about the Messiah and how it was necessary, necessary for him to suffer. He showed us how the Messiah's death would atone for our sins and that God would not leave him in the grave but would raise him to life again. He explained that the Messiah had been foretold by the prophets. He reminded us of the words in Isaiah, surely he has borne our iniquities and carried our diseases. By his bruises we are healed. He told us how God was victorious over death and that the Messiah truly lived, just as the women had said. The truth was beginning to set in. Jesus' death was no accident. God had not allowed things to get out of hand. God had sent his son on purpose to die, a death for all who would trust in him. And in the death of Jesus, my salvation had been secured. We were silent and yet our hearts began to burn with something indefinable, something we would only understand much later. Those smouldering embers of of our faith began to flicker again. Our hearts were lifted up with these words of promise and new hope. It was as if we'd been walking round in a fog, a cold cloud of misery and grief and crushed hope, and now the sun was showing again all because the words of a stranger. For five or six miles of our journey back home, we were filled with this joy of hearing the scriptures being opened up to our grieving hearts. The time just passed too quickly, and we found ourselves just a house or two away from our humble dwelling. The stranger said he was going to continue on and bid us farewell. But we asked him, pleaded with him, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. Travelling after dark, everyone knew was dangerous because of thieves and wild animals on the road. And so he accepted our invitation and came in to dine with us. We couldn't bear the thought of losing him. 
of him travelling on, hungry, alone and tired. Everything that followed was somehow familiar and brand new all at the same time. I ran to my sister's house for bread. The stranger and Cleopas continued their conversation at the table. The loaves had just been taken out of the oven. The smell of the good grain and the yeast filled our small room and it was warm as my ha- my hands in my hands as I carried it home. The stranger took the bread in his hands and clothed his eyes in prayer. Baruch Atar Adonai Eloheinu Melech Halolam Hamotzi Lechem Min Hararetz. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of all creation, who brings forth bread from the earth. As he lifted up the bread and broke it, I gasped. As he raised the bread, his robe slipped back on his arms and I saw the marks on his wrists. They were nail prints. I immediately looked him full in the face. His eyes held my gaze and I knew him. Jesus of Nazareth was our guest. My heart pounded in my chest. I was looking into the face of the Redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah, our teacher, alive from the tomb. Those who were were rumoured to have visited an empty tomb were right. He was alive in my house, reclining at my table. No wonder this stranger knew so well the whole plan of God. It was the plan of his very own making and of his own doing. I looked across at Cleopas. He too had recognised our master. At that moment we saw. We understood. We knew. In the blink of an eye, Jesus was gone. Yet I knew our faith in Jesus was proven. He was alive. All of a sudden, we didn't need to finish the meal, even though it had been days since we last ate. For the second time that day, we walked the seven-mile distance between our home and Jerusalem, never once thinking about our previous fears about travelling overnight. And once in the city, we searched for the hidden disciples. Not an easy task. But when we found them, we burst into the the room to give them the good news. But before we could even say a word, they all shouted, Jesus is alive! He's appeared to Peter! As it turned out, we weren't the only ones Jesus had spoken to. There were also the women and Mary from Magdala. Finally, it was our turn to thrill them with our encounter with the risen Jesus. Mind you, we were behind locked doors. We're still not sure what the authorities might do. But as I told them of Jesus' appearance to us, he was there again, standing in the room. And there was a united gasp within the group. He asked, what are you afraid of? Look at my hands, my feet. You can see that it's me. Touch me and see. Have you ever heard of a ghost with flesh and blood? And then he took food and began to eat in front of us. 
it became clear to all of us, even to the most sceptical, it really was Jesus. He then proceeded to teach us from the scriptures how it was necessary for him, the Messiah, to die and rise from the dead on the third day. And then it hit me. He really did mean it when he, di- when he cried on the cross, it is finished. Finished is what he said and finished is what he meant. Finished is what he requires of our striving to earn God's favour and salvation. You can't add to something that has been finished. But you can accept what Jesus did for you on that cross and know his finishing power in your life. When you turn to him in faith, finishing is sin's rule over you. Finished is sin's punishment hanging over you like a dark cloud. Finished are your days of walking in darkness. All of that was finished for me that day in the presence of our risen Saviour. Every time Cleopas and I walk together now, we know that we are on the road with Jesus again. I know that he truly is leading us to freedom and peace and wholeness. The risen Lord Jesus is here in this place You can't see him just as my eyes were closed to his presence along the journey back home. But will you trust him with the whole of your life? Jesus rose from the grave victorious in dying for our sins, only to begin his new assignment, and that has to do with our lives. Will you let him finish his work in and through you, or will you stand in his way? The choice is yours. Let us pray. Though our questions may overwhelm us and our doubts forcefully speak, we praise you, our God, for the gift of faith. Though we may miss the signs of your life and ignore the marks of rebirth all around us, we praise you, Holy Spirit, for the gift of faith. Though we may constantly seek after proof and refuse to believe without seeing, we praise you, Lord Jesus, for the gift of faith. Thank you, loving God, for your life that rises above our understanding. For your presence from which we can never flee. For your resurrection, which means that we are never defeated. And for the gift of faith that enables us to trust, even in the midst of our doubts and fears. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, loving God. Holy Spirit, move amongst us. Transform us, I pray. Amen.